brave the weird and haunted shores at world's end. Then you will need a captain who knows those waters. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Matt Goes to the Movies. And if you've been following along, you know that it's time for Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man's Chest. A little bit longer introduction, but just an absolutely one of my favorite scenes from this entire series. Couldn't really start this episode without it. But once again, I am joined by Rob and Harrison from The Basement Binge. And I might be more excited to talk about this movie than I was the last one, and I could not wait. So, guys, welcome back. Excited to be here. Thanks for having us. Same. Yeah, so, you know, we're on this journey to review all five movies from the Pirates of the Caribbean series, and, you know, like I said, the first one, Curse of the Black Pearl, was a lot of fun. Uh, It was a movie that Harrison and Rob both rated at five reels, and... Uh, surprisingly, I was the lowest on that score with 4.85 reels, but, you know, before we get into everything, uh, once again, I want to give you guys an opportunity to Harrison one, talk about the basement binge and Rob talk about, uh, something that you've been doing on the show, uh, as like a little extended universe, uh, side project. So Harrison, why don't you go first, you know, reintroduce yourself to listeners and, and give an introduction to the basement binge. Well, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. So, yeah, like Matt said, I am Harrison from The Basement Binge, which is another movie review podcast very similar to Matt Goes to the Movies. So if you like Matt Goes to the Movies, hopefully you'll like The Basement Binge. Uh, It's available wherever you get your podcasts. And also this uh, month, September, is the two-year anniversary of The Basement Binge. So I have some episodes, one that I recorded earlier today that should be coming out uh, either later today or tomorrow. And some other very, very exciting episodes uh, that I'm working on that is just a lot of fun to celebrate the two-year anniversary. Not really on a theme, but just movies I wanted to talk about. So uh, if you're interested in listening to episodes that are currently released, uh, the three of us here have done some on the Fast and Furious movies um, and also the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle live-action remakes. Um, In addition, there's tons of MCU content over there, uh, reviews of films currently in theaters, those types of things. So. Yeah, go check out The Basin Binge if you if that's something that you think you'd like. Thanks again, Matt. Yeah, of course. Rob, uh, like I said, you've done an extended universe, so to speak, here, our own little version of the MCU. Uh, talk right. about that. Yeah, so uh, the other the other title we had for it was The Multiverse of Madness. Um, th- that one wasn't as good as the extended podcast universe. But yeah, so um, really wanted to spend time talking about some of the movies that have had a very long-lasting impact on myself. And um, the, the one person I can think of who really has also shared a lot of those same films with the same kind of long-lasting impact is my younger brother, Eric. So uh, we've recorded three episodes so far. Our plan is to probably do about one a month because that's about all the more that 
that uh, the two of us have time for. Uh, we just finished The Big Lebowski, which is a movie very near and dear to my heart. Um, prior to that, we had done an episode on Goodfellas, which was a lot of fun to do. And to really dive deep into that, I actually read a book for that. Um, and then prior to that, we had done Fight Club as the first one that we did. So uh, certainly I would recommend people check those out. It's um, it's a lot of fun to do. It's a lot of fun to prepare for and and find an excuse to rewatch movies that we both love, but don't always necessarily make the time to go back and revisit. Yeah, they've been a lot of fun to listen to. You can definitely tell that there's a passion for those movies between the two of you. So uh, listeners of Matt Goes to the Movies, if you haven't checked out any of those episodes yet, I highly recommend you do so. So guys, before we get into our teaser trailer, which is we try to keep it two minutes spoiler free, uh, let's recap from Curse of the Black Pearl. I'll, I'll go first. So our rankings for these movies before we started... Uh, I had Curse of the Black Pearl at number one, Dead Man's Chest at number two. I had Dead Men Tell No Tales at number three, at World's End at number four, and On Stranger Tides at number eight. Um, I just skipped <laughs> five, six, and seven just because it's so bad. Um, but uh, I'm curious to see once we're all said and done and maybe from movie to movie, if these ranking cha rankings change, we're going to recap them after every episode to see if we fluctuate, but Harrison, uh, go next. What was your recap? Uh, yeah. So, so my ranking here that I got him at was, uh, starting at the bottom on strangers tides. No surprise above that dead men tale, nose tales, then really kind of tied for second place with this was the curse of the black pearl and dead man's chest. And then at the top uniquely was at world's end. So I am excited that we are moving on throughout the series, especially because dead man's chest is a blast. And like, builds on the fun that the first one had anymore and also gets me excited to talk about the third one. Rob, where did you stand? Um, so starting at the top and working backwards, um, I had Curse of the Black Pearl, number one. Um, I had uh, the fifth film, um, Dead Men Tell No Tales, at number two. I had at World's End, three, uh, the film we're about to talk about, uh, Dead Men's Chest at two, and uh, On Stranger Tides, I had Tied with Matt at number eight. Hmm. Yeah, I think uh, for a rewatch of On Stranger Tides, Rob, I might have to subject you to coming over. And if I'm going to suffer, we just have to watch that together. Um, we'll, we'll get through it together somehow. Yeah, it, it, an outside movie night make that, might make that a little bit more tolerable. But um, yeah, getting into it, Harrison, I'm going to let you start off today. Um, Walk us through the teaser trailer portion, two minutes. How do you feel about this movie without spoiling it? Oh, my gosh. Like I kind of mentioned as I elaborated too much when I was talking about my rankings, this is just a blast. Like all the things that we praised in the last episode, which if you haven't listened to and you're listening to this one, go listen to the other one, are still here. Cinematography, music. I mean, I think this film has the best music of the entire uh, five-film series. The music is phenomenal. The, the acting and the performances in these characters are just as fun. And then we get the best antagonist ever in Davy Jones, played by Bill Nye. And I love the way he plays him. And, and it's just fantastic. The way that it builds on like the fantasy elements of the Pirates of the Caribbean world, while also just being just as like loony as insane, like the, the MacGuffins, so to speak, and the way that the characters interact with each other builds on kind of like the the weirdness and zaniness of the first film. Eh, 
to some fault, but also to its great pleasure that just makes it so kind of over the top ridiculous in the best way possible, while also being like so sincere to these ridiculous characters. Crazy set pieces, um, great action, great sword fights like we talked about, and also still still being incredibly funny. So, I mean, there is so much, because like to me, the first or this film, Dead Man's Chest, and the next one, At World's End, are like so much of them are combined in my head because it's they're kind of like two halves of the same story, and so I always have a hard time remembering what things are in the third film and what things are in the second. If that makes sense, I, I forget. And so rewatching this, uh, I realized like, wow, there is a lot that is just jam packed in here. I mean, this is a long movie, but the whole time you're watching it, as it just goes from ridiculous moment to ridiculous moments it's just like yeah this this is the a great adventure film it's just a blast to watch yeah rob i'm gonna let you cap it off uh i'm gonna go next but a lot of the things that harrison said i just echo the statements great score really funny really feels like this movie just expanded upon the first one and gives you a real world um, that feels lived in by these pirates. Um, you know, the the elements with Davy Jones work really well. He looks fantastic on screen. There's also some really, really great dread with the Kragen showing up. I thought that was incredibly well done just everything and probably one of my first ever oh my god moments for the ending that we played uh at the introduction i just every time i see this and even now seeing that ending i just get like a swell of excitement like oh my god i can't wait to watch the third one so this movie has made me consider my rankings. I don't know if I'm officially ready to change anything yet, but man, I forgot how fun this movie is. So I'll stop it there with my spoiler free section, Rob. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think Matt, something you had said about the the world kind of expands and feels really lived in. I think that's very accurate about this. Um, in the first film, we were kind of introduced to this supernatural nature of of this world that they inhabit, um, and they had their goal that they were trying to get to with um, you know getting all the cursed gold back um, and getting all of that undone. And all of these characters all have their separate. You know, they go back and forth uh, when they're collaborating and cooperating with each other when they're double crossing one another only to turn out that they weren't actually double crossing one another. Um, and we get some more of that here. And, and some of that's kind of fun to work through um, some of those relationships. And we see those expanded on here. Um, and it's, it's really interesting. And I, I like, I like that this, that these characters continue to grow. We, we get some really fun callbacks to the first film. Uh, this is a series that start to finish. It kind of helps to, watch them fairly close to one another because if you're if you're paying attention there are some really good callbacks um this movie's pretty graphic i i don't entirely know how they squeeze the pg-13 rating out of this this might be one of the darkest um you know scariest disney movies that are on disney plus right now um and and there's some real there's some real macabre moments in this for sure um that, like I said, um, may not necessarily be good for kids. And I think is a little bit of a tonal change from the first film, uh, parts of which I, I don't think work 
as well, maybe as what you guys do when it comes to some of the specific choices that they make. Interesting. I'll be uh, I'll be interested to hear as we dive deeper into that. So, uh, with that being said, let's move to the spoilers and talk about this movie in depth with our seat to screen section of Matt goes to the movies. So what we do here is we talk about what works and what doesn't work. And we can jump back and forth between, you know, what does and what doesn't. But my first point that I'll make for what works is it's more of Jack Sparrow that works, but what really works in this movie more so than Johnny Depp, bringing in another great performance is the villain that you introduce in Davy Jones is done incredibly well with that element. The fact that he looks good on screen, you can sympathize with him. You're curious about how he got this way. That villain really works. And I think helps really carry this movie and drives it to be Better than I remember thinking. Like, I've always liked this movie, but watching it back and seeing Davy Jones and that performance, I think he's one of the standout things about this movie that really make me question whether or not, for me, this should be number one. Uh, Harrison, I'll let you go first. Rob, I'll let you cap it. Yeah, I, I mean, I echo everything you said about Davy Jones, he's a fantastic villain, like someone who you, you can really emphasize with and feel heartbroken with, but he's also just a, a, extremely intimidating and, and scary. I agree with what, what Rob kind of talked about. Like this is kind of an intense PG 13 film. Like they're really kind of pushing the limits. Um, and it, it just makes for a really kind of intense uh, journey for Jack Sparrow that when he's scared of the beastie, so are you. Uh, and it it's it's great. I mean, the visual effects behind uh, Davy Jones phenomenal even now. And so you get that on top of like the weird triangle romance between Will and Jack and Elizabeth. I mean, all the double crossing, everybody trying to figure out how they want a piece of the heart. Um, it's just fantastic. It's it's so great to watch. And you know, it, we talked about in the last podcast a lot about how we loved the character so much and how that was like a strong point of the film and one of the great reasons to continue to watch it. And so to introduce another character, like that's a, a tall tale to live up to. And Davy Jones does it perfectly. Like of all villains, people know, like when you say Davy Jones, everybody thinks of the octopus tentacles now. Everybody does. They all know because uh, he has a great legacy. Um and, and that's just like one section of the entire film. That we- Rob, I'll let you follow up. Yeah, so um, I definitely agree with that. I'd, I'd kind of like to talk about there's as far as things that work, there's something they do in this movie that I can't tell you that I've seen done in a lot of other films. And certainly, I can't if it's been done before, it's, I cannot think of a single example done as well as this. And that is creating a one-on-one-on-one sword fight that works and continues to tell a story. Um, pretty much that whole last or that whole scene when they're on the Island, 
Um, and, and like we've been talking about, there's double crosses going on and uh, everybody's kind of got their own agendas that are sometimes they work together, sometimes they don't. Um, so from the moment they really begin that, that one-on-one-on-one between Will, Jack, and, and the Commodore, or the former Commodore Norrington, um, it's great. And to try to be able to pull that off, um, both in the long shot and the close-up shot, you know, sometimes you can hide things by pulling up close. Sometimes you can hide things by pulling far away. And at no point do I feel like they're hiding elements of not being able to make that fight work. And then when you have the water wheel, I mean, that's, that's one Ooh. of my favorite scenes of this entire series, you know, and those, those are almost kind of the same scene, even though they're sort of, you know, a continuation of one to the other. Um, the water wheel scene, it's so creative and it is so well executed. And at no point does it feel Harrison, can you hear me? That water wheel scene is just fantastic though, because it's a continuation of what they were doing on the beach, but it's a natural continuation. They're still doing that, that free for all one-on-one on one, but it's, it's ridiculous. It's fun. Um, at no point does it feel like, they should just jump off this. Like they need to be on there. Each of them needs to be doing what he is doing. Their motives at every point of that process are clear to understand why each man needs to do what he's doing and why he has to stop the other two from doing it. Like I said, I don't think I can, I can remember another film where we have something like this a at all or B executed anywhere near at this level. Um, the fight scenes in, in this series as a whole, I think are, are really a high point. And, and some of the things that I think about highly when I think about pirates of the Caribbean, um, it, certainly we praise those in the first film. I love that, that blacksmith uh, fight scene that kind of starts things off a little bit when we first meet Will uh, or when Will and Jack meet each other. Um, and this one, again, you know, it's uh, Will and Jack are almost kind of the best of frenemies, right? It, it never, I'm never fully convinced that they're friends, that they're enemies, that they trust each other, that they don't trust each other, um, that they would die for one another or that they would kill one another. I, I'm never fully convinced I know the answer to that. Yeah, I, I think that's a good point. And one thing that I, I want to talk about, and Harrison, you would certainly understand where I'm coming from with this because you've seen it. But with this movie, Rob, you talked about the fight scenes and everything that they do and the way that they film them. And with this type of movie, you would think that this is the type of series that you would have close cameras, very quick cuts uh, to maybe hide some of the things that these actors couldn't do with the swords. But this series isn't that as opposed to, you know, recently, uh, well, it feels still recent, but Harrison and I both saw Snake Eyes, G.I. Joe Origins. And while it's not a bad movie. (laughs) You you have people in that movie that are trained martial artists that you have seen them in movies like The Raid and Warrior from 2019, not the MMA fighting movie, um, where they have pulled away camera shots of them actually doing, you know, stunt choreography and hand to hand fighting. But in Snake Eyes, G.I. Joe Origins. The camera is up close. It's super quick cuts and it's confusing because you have people that can do that kind of stuff. In these movies, it's the complete opposite where you would think maybe, you know, Johnny Depp, Will Turner or (laughs) Will Turner, um, Orlando Bloom and Kira Knightley. Maybe they wouldn't be able to do some of the things that they show them on, on camera doing, 
but they film it so well. And that's one of the things that for me keeps drawing me into the movie is because you can see these people on screen. And I do appreciate that when you don't know if it's a stunt double, you know, or somebody else, you just see the actors doing what, you know, they're on screen to do. I really appreciate that. I got to jump in here and say, I agree. And, you know, even like that, that water wheel fight, that's a, an actual wheel that's like 18 feet tall, or maybe it was 15 feet, I don't remember, uh, that was actually spinning. And because the director wanted long, close-up shots of the actors spinning, and, and it works so well. And, and even the way that not only just visually and choreographically, uh, if that's a word, are the fight scenes and sword fights good, but like Rob said, they actually tell a story. Like how many times in a film have we tried to have a fight between three characters that are all kind of, it, it's not like one versus two, it's one V one V one. And it, it just doesn't work. Nothing about it does where this, the, the choreography actually makes sense. And it's telling a complete story consistent with character motivations. It's just fantastic. Yeah, I totally agree. Harrison, I'm going to put you on the spot here to pick the next thing that you want to talk about, whether what works for you in this movie or what doesn't work. And then Rob and I can just piggyback. So you're up. Oh man, there's so many different things. One thing that I'll say that I think just works uh, incredibly well about this film, which I don't know, maybe this is a minor thing, but I think it is for me. One of the reasons why this film is still rewatchable is the way that, um, the Kraken is. I mean, like, the Kraken is just intense. The visual effects for it, the the story behind it, the music. I mean, like, the Kraken thing. Come on, Hans Zimmer. Mm-hmm. You're just getting everyone to shaking their boots with that. It's just fantastic consistently. And the way that it adds so much dread to the entire story and you feel almost, like, locked off. You know, we talked about how the first film felt like freedom at the open sea this is like oh my gosh get away from the sea as fast as possible and it really does feel dreadful and adds like a a really really strong presence to the character of uh davy jones so the the kraken uh would probably be one of my favorite parts but also just throwing like the visual effects in general uh is something that really works super well for this film Yeah, Rob, anything that you want to add? I kind of talked about, you know, that part of this movie a little bit, but do you want to, uh, you know, go off of that? Yeah, so I'd like to talk about the practical effects, too, that are used in this uh, right towards the beginning. You know, the practical makeup effects are really, really well done. Um, I I want to say it's predominantly um, with Bootstrap Bill. Um, I, I think a lot of the CG is done very, very well. Up until it's not. Um, I think the, the Kraken is very scary. It's, it's real threatening. Um, and, and then you get to the last time we see it when you see all the teeth. And holy cow, that to me looks pretty cartoony. Um, it, it's that we're, we have so much good CG up until that moment for me um, where he's about to, you know, it's the big climax of the movie. He gets swallowed. Um and it's it's hard to it's hard to look at that and and not be like oh that that was the best you could do at least for me. Interesting, uh, Harrison. Any any thoughts on that? Because I, you know, 
I did not get that. So curious to see what your thoughts are. Uh, yeah, I think I kind of lie in the middle view where I think like the visual effects, like the actual computer generated image is phenomenal and extremely well done, especially for whatever year this film came out, 2006. But the design of like the teeth and the and just like the mouth of the Kraken, uh, mm. I, I think is not great uh, character or, or creature design. I think so much of the the creature is like fantastic. The way we just see the tentacles and so much of it is hidden. And so when we do get the reveal of its mouth, it's kind of like, well, that's. I mean, like, I, it's good and bad to me. So I I kind of see both sides of it. But one thing that I just want to throw in because you know. I love my little trivia about film. So the visual effects artists, I was watching a documentary about this particular film like years ago. And they like, in case anybody doesn't know visual effects, isn't just like, Oh, here, let me click a button. And my computer generates this thing. I tell it to like, a lot of it is like animation. You have to have reference for things. They, there's a lot of actual creation behind the artists. That's why they're called VFX artists. Anyway, they were struggling to get footage of, um, or not footage, but like reference to to base a Kraken on. Like, how do we make this giant tentacle look? Uh, and I don't remember who it was. Somebody involved in the film encouraged them to watch one of these really old Godzilla movies. I don't remember which Godzilla movie it was, uh, where an actual octopus is like crawling over a miniature set of a city. Uh, and they use that as reference <laughs> for the Kraken. And like, it works so well. And so I just think that like, and it, that little tidbit, I just had to share I love old Godzilla movies. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, all really good points. But gentlemen, before we say anything else, um, I totally forgot one thing. And that's as an homage to the basement binge. We were supposed to do rummage for the rotten. So before we get so too far into this where we can't, um, Let's talk about that really quick. Uh, Rummage for the Rottens brought to us by The Basement Binge is an idea that Harrison um, has for his show. And it's who's going to like this movie the least based on reels. Uh, last time, it was me for Curse of the Black Pearl. Uh, I'll go first. I think it's going to be Rob. I'm going to say that pretty easily this week, that it will be Rob. So that's my guess. You know, I'm going right along with Matt. There's not much division here. I think it is going to be you <laughs> as well, Rob. I think if I guess like the whole order, I think from, you know, bottom to top, it's going to be Rob, me, and then Matt. That's that. It's me. I'm the rotten. Um, I know it already before we get to the end. Um, and I kind of think Harrison's right, too. I think Matt's going to like this the most. He's going to be uh, not far behind him. I think I'm probably at least a full reel behind both of you. Oh, all right. I'm I'm excited. Um, I'm also excited to have the first ever negative reels when we get to Stranger Tides. But um, <laughs> negative reels. <laughs> so uh, we'll you know we'll save that for the end to see if we're right uh, with Rob. At some point, we'll have to figure out what the the running tally will be here for what you get if. Uh, you guess it. But uh, getting back to what works and what doesn't work, Rob, you talked about some of the CGI and you said this from the last movie. So I'm going to bring up this point and I'm going to ask you to follow up on it first. But what works for me again in this movie is Elizabeth Swan and Will Turner. 
I still like the relationship. I think it has a natural progression. I actually enjoy the, I don't even call it a triangle because I think it's actually really, really well crafted. I I don't think there's any merit or like actual substance to the relationship between Jack and Elizabeth. Um, I think it plays perfectly well. So I really like that. I know Rob, you said it's more to do with like Orlando Bloom. You're not really a big fan of him in these movies, but I think their relationship progresses really well. And it's something I still enjoy with this movie. So I'm going to let you go first. Sure. Um, So I didn't, I wasn't a huge fan of Orlando Bloom's performance in the first film. I like him better in this one. And I have to agree with what you said. I feel like their relationship here is a natural progression. The, I won't even call it a triangle, but just the introduction of Jack somehow swinging his way into their relationship somehow. I, we have, again, talking about things we haven't seen before. Um, this is an aspect of the film that is very well written because they avoid the easy tropes. They avoid the lazy screenwriting that we could have seen easily in an example like this. And they give us a much more complex situation with a lot more nuance. Um, It's easy to see Elizabeth not necessarily being in love with Jack, but possibly in lust with Jack because of all of the things that he represents, that freedom, that, that carefreeness that she and her stuffy provincial life have never really explored. Certainly she gets a little bit of that uh, with Will, um, but Jack represents something different altogether. He, you know, Will's the guy you can bring home to, to mommy and daddy. And, and Jack's the, the one that rides up on the Harley in the, in the black leather, you know, jacket, um, that you, you really can't. Um, and there's, there's an appeal to that. You know, I think we can all think of women we know that are in love with the bad boy and, and there's an aspect of that to Jack. And, there, there might be some appeal to Elizabeth briefly. Um, there's, there's a, a short period of time where she has an emotion towards him, but it's, it's not the same as um, what she actually does have with Will and recognizes that she has with Will. That's different. I, I want to say this though: getting, you know, talking about their relationship, getting to the end of this movie. There is, I just praised the screenwriting. Now I want to trash it just a little bit. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I, you know, what, what else do you expect from me? Um, when we get to the end, so, so Elizabeth handcuffs Jack to the ship and, um, you know, kind of tricks him. Will sees this. Now, I guess in some aspects, she doesn't know that he saw it. Um, but it seems strange to me that she hides this from him to try to create this extra layer of tension by not sharing it. And I, like I said, I get that she doesn't necessarily know that he saw it, um, but it feels weird for somebody that should have been your husband by this point that you're not fully sharing all of those details. Like, Hey, here's what I did. I, I tricked him. I, I put him there so that we could all escape. Um, this is what happened. Um, that it, it seems a little weird and, and it's going to set up, you know, that tension a little bit there um, with Will not really sure what his fiance's intentions are. Is, is Jack this other competitor to him? Um, I don't know. I feel like I, I don't feel real strongly about this, but I, I it's it's just kind of weird. And, and maybe you guys can help me out and figure out how I should feel about, you know, that aspect of the scene. 
All right, Harrison, you're a better man than I. Take it away. <laughs> I don't know about that. But I, as far as the relationship, to jump back a few steps between Will and Elizabeth, I think it's at one of the strongest points in this film. I think the progression is phenomenal. I, I think the the draw that they have and the commitment they have towards one another is is really a strong driving force in the story. And I, I appreciate the correction of the tr- of it not being a triangle because I, I really do view Jack and the compass pointing to him, so to speak, more of like a temptation than in like an actual love. Mm. Uh, and, and that uh, like the difficulty dealing with that temptation and accepting it versus not accepting it. And I think that's why Elizabeth doesn't say anything to Will is one. How do you say that to somebody like, Oh, Hey, by the way, I like pretend to be in love with this guy so that I could handcuff him so that he stayed behind without knowing it so that we could escape, but he's dead and we're okay. Like, how do you, how do you talk about that? Um, second, I think that there's a little bit of like, uh, I, I don't know what embarrassment the right word maybe. Is, but, embarrassment shame maybe a little bit of like excitement like evil excitement type of thing with just the entire idea of like the temptation around jack that she's been struggling with the entire film you know not wanting to accept that and and i think accepting that she had like sway over him that she actually could uh you know manipulate him so to speak uh makes her kind of embarrassed or ashamed to to be honest about that because she's struggling to accept her desire for that herself like if that if that made any sense yeah i one thing that i think is incorporated with that is you know rob you mentioned how you don't ever think that you're not really sure what jack and will's relationship is are they friends are the enemies would one die for one would one you know, really, truly, finally ever betray the other. But I think part of, you know, Elizabeth's guilt is, you know, this guy just came back and like he just came back and saved them. Like if it wasn't for Jack doing what they didn't think he would do, they would all be dead. And now she's going to actively make it so that Jack won't be alive anymore. I I think she you know, has guilt over that. And it's hard for her to explain everything because she does have a little bit of burden of I'm going to, you know, consciously leave this man behind after he just saved all of us. I, that's kind of how I interpret her not really saying anything and being so broken up where she can't just tell Will like, Oh, Hey, by the way, um, I, I thought this was the only choice that I had, and this is what I did to make sure all of us were safe. I think that probably makes a lot of sense. Um, it's it's part of it too is just the complexity that we talked about. That it's not a true love triangle. It's something completely different. It's it's not fair to call it that. Um, so to understand what her emotions are <clears throat> when they're in the uh, the shack there towards the end uh, would be pretty tough to really nailed down, I think. Yeah, no, I I definitely think that that works. And I think that, you know, that Shaq scene really shows, you know, a lot of the emotion that everybody's feeling and the fact that they do. And especially, I think, Orlando Bloom's character, Will, I think it does solidify the fact that, you know, he's not just sad because the Pearl's gone. And, you know, in the movie, we learn that he's, 
you know, thinks he could use the pearl to to help free his father from Davy Jones. I think he's genuinely, you know, sad over the fact that they lost Jack. It's not just about the ship. I think this is somebody who, regardless of the in-between, at the end, I think he feels that Jack will uh, would be there and would help them. So I really like that scene. Um, even before the ending, I think it shows a lot of really good emotion from, you know, even though these guys uh, are pirates, especially the two that were with Barbosa, and them just, you know, saying, oh, Jack was a good man and everything like I, I think it shows that, you know, they still have a code, so to speak, and they they do miss the fact that Jack's gone. I think it's something, if I just kind of jump off from what you're saying and kind of take it a little bit further, I think it's something that just really works extremely well about this film, especially as a follow-up, is that I was watching it with my wife, and constantly she kept asking, like, well, who's the bad guy? <laughs> you know, are these people bad? Are they a pirate? Are they good? And I was like, well, right now they're working against each other, but then later they're going to work together against the more vicious bad guy. And, and like, there is so much about this story that is super unique. Like, the way that the, the, the backstabbing goes so back and forth and is so, like, genuine in the motivation that would cause backstabbing and, like, the circumstances, how it would happen – it's really kind of unique in the way that it's not 100% straightforward. Like, it zigs and zags all over the place. Like, we go from uh, a wedding being rained out to, like, cannibals on an island to a giant sea monster to thumbs and liar's dice to a three-way sword fight. Like, like there is so much back and forth here uh, that really is unique. On top of, like, the ambiguity of all the characters, like, well, is this a good person or a bad person? Are their motivations good or bad? What are what are they not revealing in their cards in how they're trying to play? Like, obviously, we kind of always guess that about Jack. Like, well, how is he trying to spin this for his own advantage? But what is everyone else doing? You know, and it, it's, you know, it, and the things layer on top of one another, including the romance element, like like that same uniqueness, that same ambiguity is throughout the entire film and, and makes it so much fun to watch and try and dissect the whole thing. Yeah, I, I totally agree, Rob. Anything that you want to just cap that off with? Um, you know, there's, there's, to me, I think there's a lot of fun elements in this, but uh, if we're going to start approaching the territory of some of the things that don't necessarily work, I think to me, some of the fun, some of the sense of adventure that we praise so much about the first film, and certainly there are elements of it in this, I think kind of get dulled a little bit by some of the the darker elements. Um, and I kind of want to talk about one of the first scenes we see, which is the cannibals and the bone cages. Um, that's, that's rarely funny. Like, it's kind of hard to make cannibalism funny. Uh, it's kind of hard to make being stuck in a, in a cage ball full of the bones of your former crew members. Um, it's it's kind of hard to have a smile on your face when that stuff's going on. Like the scene itself where they're climbing and they have to try to get there ahead of the other one and, and they're rolling and all that other stuff. Like that's all funny, but then you kind of see like a spine hanging there and you're to me, it just, it, it dulls the fun just, just a little bit. Um, and then, you know, you have the cannibals chasing Jack and then they stop and they start chasing the dog. And now I'm more concerned about the dog and his safety. And, and he's featured in a post credit scene where they're kind of, you know, shown being worshiping of, of the dog. And you're like, oh, great. Now they're going to boil the dog. You know, they're going to light the dog on fire and try to eat him. Like uh, some of those moments. And there's actually a couple places we see something like that. Um, to me, it 
I don't know. I, I think there's some there's some things that don't need to be in this movie. Um, I want to also talk about another scene that I think is kind of pointless um, in general because I don't think it moves the story along in any meaningful way. And it just really makes this movie a lot darker and uh, to me takes away some of that fun element. And when Bootstrap has to use the cat of nine tails on his own son, and then we see the results with the wounds on his back, um, it feels really unnecessary to me. What did that scene add? I mean, am I missing something? Do you guys feel like that scene really added anything? Because it's that's a pretty dark scene. That's definitely not one I'm going to have the kids in the room for. Um, and And just when you start introducing these kind of elements, you know, it's hard to really have that big silly grin on your face um, throughout the rest of the film when when you've got the, the great music going that is always fun every time you hear it and, and you get to that really fun water wheel scene that we talked about earlier. I don't know. Am I missing something? Or do you guys feel like that scene needed to be there or did anything? Um, I'll, I'll jump in. I see where you're coming from. Like, it doesn't, you know, it's not like that scene really comes back. I think you know, more than anything, it's really to show how far, you know, as we learn more about Davy Jones, I think it's meant to show how far he's fallen from, you know, where he was supposed to be as the captain of the Dutchman. But some of that we don't learn, you know, until the third movie about why he's like this and, why he decided not to fulfill the deed of the captain of the Dutchman. So I think, yeah, I can see your point of it doesn't hold a lot of weight in this movie because I I think if everything would have been tied together of why he became this and that scene was there, I think it could have had more meaning, but in this movie, I I can see where you're, where you're coming from. I would agree. I I think that that, there is just like a level of like excessiveness to this entire film. Like this film was almost three hours long. A movie about pirates is only three hours long. So I'm not complaining. It's great to watch, but like that's kind of excessive to have it go on that long. And there is a lot of moments that are just kind of full of fluff. And, and I agree with you. There are some moments that was just like, Oh geez, like that was just a little extra intense, like, how is this in this movie type of thing? Um, and while some of it really does increase the dread or drive the story more, there are those scenes that's like, well, why did you have to do it that way? Like, that just seems a little excessive, a little further than it needed to be taken. Uh, and that film you pointed out, I, I think, is a perfect example. I do think, to also just agree with Matt, and I guess I'm just kind of being repetitive here uh is that like i do think that it was trying to drive home a point about davy jones and i think that just the rest of that gets lost and so that's just kind of like the one scene that sticks out more than the rest so we get another scene later when the kraken attacks the ship and there's prisoners on board and they say what should we do with them and he says there are no prisoners and these guys they're not just like killed um, they're axed in the head. Um, it's, it's pretty intense. And I don't know, for me, I get it. He's the bad guy. He's clearly a bad guy. Um, and I don't know that like those two scenes really need to be there to sell that point. I think we kind of just go along with it. Like we've set him up. He's the big bad of this film. 
uh, we're coming along with you. I don't know that those things really add anything extra. Um, and I kind of feel like just the disembodied heart is, is kind of gross and a little bit excessive. Um, and I, you know, in a, like, again, in a movie that's supposed to just be fun and an adventure, um, there's some, I would call that just a, an element of, of horror, you know, being introduced into this. In fact, I'd call some of those elements that we just talked about pulled right out of, you know, Friday the 13th or Saw or any of those other things um, that, uh, that we typically watch around Halloween. Um, and I don't know that they necessarily... I don't know. There's there's parts of it that I think just take away that that element of of just having a good time. You can sit down, you can watch this movie anytime in any mood, and and just be happy that you did it. There's parts that you know I fast forward through a lot of that. Um, I don't. I just yeah. I mean, for a movie that's I think it's the runtime's close to two and a half hours, almost three hours. Um, they could have cut a lot of this down and gave us a more entertaining movie. Uh, I mean, there's certainly a tonal shift from the first one to the second one. I mean, you have your villain in the first one and, you know, Barbosa and everything, but even, you know, the violence in the first one, like it's fun, so to speak, like (laughs) that might sound weird, but yeah, there's, there's definitely a tone shift from the first to the second and the second and third, you know, uh, the second and third. And the way that I like think of these movies is I'll be interested to watch, you know, three and then four, because it almost feels like two and three are really like together and then thinking back on four and like when I rewatch it again, it's almost like one and four are almost connected a little bit more than two and three in terms of the tone for me. So I'm going to be curious to watch the other ones back because two and three to some degree feel like it's part of, you know, an original and sequel. And one is just kind of, you know, one was the Kickstarter, but because of the way the tone is in the second and third one, they feel more in line than it being a trilogy, so to speak, for me. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And and when you think about other big trilogies, obviously this was intended to be a, a trilogy by the time they shot the second one. When you think about Indiana Jones, the first one was adventure. It was fun. The second one is dark, like really dark. Um, and I think we kind of forget it because it's got the, you know, the, the great music and it's indie and he's got the whip and he's our hero and go rewatch that second one. And it's like really dark. Um, and then you get back to the third one and it, it takes it back to kind of the, the fun and the adventure and, you know, he's arguing with his dad and everybody's having a good time. Um, and it kind of feels very similar. Uh, Matt, I think you said it perfectly, just a tonal shift, um, for the second movie. And, and I, and I think that's maybe why it just doesn't work for me as well as the first one. I genuinely, I actually just oh, go ahead, Harrison, you go first. I was going to say, I, I genuinely had nightmares about temple of doom as a kid. <laughs> <laughs> it's easy. I literally just watched, um, the Indiana Jones set over the past couple of days. Um, and it totally agree. Like one super fun. Two is great tonal shift three goes back and then i decided to just stand outside and pelt myself in the face with the hose after watching uh you know the fourth one so (laughs) hold on wait you acknowledge the existence of the fourth because i don't 
Oh, I, I will acknowledge the existence of the fourth, but again, I, you know, it's this time it was spraying myself in the face with a hose. Last time it was, you know, putting hot sauce in my eyelids. Um, I always do something <laughs> terrible for, after I watch that movie just to remind myself, don't do it again, but it keeps happening. <laughs> yes, don't watch that one. Right. <laughs> So, all right, but talking still, you know, what works, what doesn't, uh, I've pretty much said my piece about what I think works about this movie. Uh, guys, anything that you want to add to this section before we would maybe move on? Yeah. So I want to talk real quick wanna... about the compass. Oh, go ahead, Harrison. Oh yeah. I, I was just going to say something that I think that doesn't work for me the most. I talked about this a lot earlier that like, Oh, it's super fun how it zigs and zags and just goes crazy and like takes up the, like the craziness of it all a lot more than the first film. While that is something that I really, really do enjoy about this film. It also does make the writing a little bit weaker uh, where the first film it, we talked about and really praised how it felt really authentic for lack of better words, how the characters came together and got on a journey together where this film, it feels a little bit more first, like, Oh, Hey, these characters were fun last time. Let's make sure we get them together again. And how quickly uh, both Will and Elizabeth are willing to just go on a wild goose chase for Jack. Like it, it does. It's fun. I, I love the journey and I'm glad it's there. And I'm glad for the way that it zigs and zags. Cause it really makes for some lot of, a lot of fun. Uh, but it, there is a weakness there to me. It's like, well, like, really? Like, they're just going to go do what Jack says just because? Um, so, yeah, that, that would be a weak point for me. But I'm also curious to hear what Matt says, or what Rob says. Yeah, so the compass, I actually really thought this was one of the highlights of this film in terms of creativity, because in the first film, they never specify exactly what the compass is for. And it makes you wonder when they made the decision to do this. And, and I don't know, maybe, maybe one of you guys know if they ever truly intended for there to be a sequel to Curse of the Black Pearl, if that was something they were just going to wait and see, if they ever planned it. Um, because obviously in the first film, when they talk about the Isla de Muerta being a place you can only go if you know how to get there, or if you already know how to get there, um, certainly you would think, okay, well, maybe that's the compass's intent. That's, that just guides you to that island. It's this enchanted object that that's its purpose. Um, and then when they kind of, they never tell you that that's what it is, but in this movie, when they actually explain it, um, it's a really cool object that I, I was really impressed with kind of the decision they made to explain it. Um, and I don't know if it was always intended to be that, or if it's something that they modified once they realized they had a hit and were ready to do a second and third film. I just, I thought that was a cool element. Yeah. I like the compass element. I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I think everybody probably, well, in terms of these kinds of movies, I'm sure everybody probably hopes to, you know, get a sequel. I, I can't imagine that they thought like the first Pirates would be as big as it was. And then, man, just uh, again, like back then when these movies were coming out, the the opening for dead man's chest and just being the number one movie at the time and setting a record. Uh, I'm pretty sure there was some stuff along the way there. They were like, okay, um, writer's room, let's sit down and figure out what this actually does. Because I, I don't think they anticipated the amount of box office that the first one got. And then, yeah, I think they had already 
plan that they, okay, well, we're definitely going to do two and three. So I think they did some improvising. You know, some behind the scenes stuff where they had originally planned for this to be a trilogy the whole time. Uh, all I know is that they were originally, I, I would 100% agree with everything that you said. I would just add that I know they were originally going to name the first film, Pirates of the Caribbean. That's it. Like, no added on statement. And then they're like, oh, well, hopefully let's get a sequel. So let's add on The Curse of the Black Pearl. Uh, but. Interesting. Interesting. So, guys, if you don't have anything else, uh, I feel like we can move on to from the lobby. Any objections or any last statements? Let's go to the lobby. All right. So from the lobby, this is where we talk favorite scene, least favorite scene. Um, Rob, feel free to mention the fact that (laughs) Will gets the tar beat out of him. Um, But one of my – like obviously is the wheel scene and just the transition, like everything that happens almost in that entire stretch. I mean, I can't find them, them, you know, them chasing, um, you know, the chest and them fighting on the wheel, just everything that happens there is so fun. And it never feels like anything is, you know, more important than the other scene. Nothing gets lost in the shuffle. I just feel they, they did such a good job with that transition of what was going on. Um, th- that's one of my favorite scenes. I, I have a couple that I really want to point out, but I'll, I'll start with that one. And Rob, I'll let you jump in next. So the, the one-on-one-on-one that follows into the wheel scene is not just my favorite scene of this film. Um, it's, my favorite scene of the series and is actually uh, among my favorite scenes in, in all of cinema. Um, it's, it's hard to think about something that brings me that much joy to watch the craftsmanship that went into creating that scene from start to finish from the conceptualization to just the execution, the actors, um, the writing, everything that built to that scene um, and then, uh, you know, when they actually shot it and put it together later, added the visual effects to, to really, you know, if they'd shot it on a green screen or whatever they did, um, to really make it feel like it's actually happening, um, from start to finish, I adore it. Harrison, where do you stand? Uh, yeah, also love that scene, but just cause the two of you talked about it, I'm just going to talk about a different one that I love because I have, a uh, I but I genuinely do love that wheels and I think it's fantastic the entire thing leading up to it um, the scene that I love is actually the game that they play with the dice it's called liars dice it's actually a game that my family plays now when we get together because of this movie we watched this movie and then we were talking about like how does that game work we looked up the game we figured out the rules and now we play it all the time it's a genuinely a super fun game but despite that uh, the real world crossover. I, I think it's a fantastic scene. I've watched so many interviews with the writers who talked about how they had much longer scenes that explained how the game worked a lot more to help watchers or viewers understand what was going on. Because uh, when you really do understand the game and when you understand uh, the characters' motivations in that moment, it's just an incredibly well-written, well-performed scene. Uh, to break it down really, really briefly, in case you don't know, in essence, when you're playing the game, you're taking your entire 
uh, all the dice in, in play. So if uh, three of you have five dice, there's 15 dice. And so you're betting how many of a certain dice there are, right? Four fours, for example, taking all the dice into play. And so uh, Will, if I explain this real briefly, Will isn't playing to win. And you see that in his betting. He's not taking aggressive bets that would put the other person in a bad situation. He's only betting to keep himself safe uh, so that where he's not ended up the liar. Because uh, really, all he wanted to know was the key. Where Davy Jones is being incredibly aggressive um, to try and capture Will and then uh, bootstrap Bill, he is just playing to get... Uh, to get the blame off of Will. And and it's just really fascinating the way it's written, the way it's performed. I think some of the lines in that are exceptional when Davy Jones comes down and he says, I accept. I, I mean, like, that's just fantastic. And and the way he calls Bootstrap a liar, I, I just think that's a, a, an incredibly well-written scene, and I love it, and I love the... Uh, I mean, what a fun way to have the characters interact, throw in a cool game that not everybody knows about, and have it be such an important part of the movie. I really like that scene. I remember at one time um, you could buy a, a pirates themed version of that game. I think it was, I saw it on shelves somewhere that it was a specific like movie tie in version of it. I believe it. I, we just play with cups and dice. We, we're, we don't have the fancy version. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's really cool. I actually, I like that scene a lot too. And one other scene that I really like, and it's, not the and it's not my favorite scene in the movie but i like it a lot is when norrington comes back and throws the heart of davy jones on the desk i really like that scene for the simple fact of harrison i believe you mentioned it earlier where like everybody's motivations and rob you said the same thing you know, their motivations for what they're doing are sound. You understand why person A would do this. You understand why person B would backstab this person. And for him, you know, it's a guy that was supposed to marry Elizabeth and then loses her to this just generic random, you know, guy, this peasant, as he kind of sees him in the first movie in Will. And he's lost all of his honor and that's all he's known his entire life. So his way of getting that back is to, you know, retrieve the heart of Davy Jones and, you know, give it back to, I forgot the guy's name, unfortunately, but I really like that because again, it's just, it is for me, good writing of where that character, I believe at the end of the movie would be and what he would be doing on this journey as he's, you know, he's formulating his own plan throughout the whole movie with why he's with this crew in the first place. So I really like that scene because I think it's really well written for the character. You know, if we're talking about scenes that really also work, I sort of love the world building that we get towards the beginning of this when um, that same character, um, I believe it's Lord Cutler, um, he's he's talking about how the world that he previously knew is you know the the corners of the map are being fleshed out something along those lines um you know really what brought the end of piracy was uh they got england got serious about it and they sent people they sent pardons they converted pirates into pirate hunters they gave these guys a path to freedom because ultimately um 
what they were doing was never truly sustainable. They were never going to make truly a, an actual go of this. You were only going to just keep doing it until you were dead, <laughs> you know, either by in heat of battle or one of your compatriots were, would get you at some point or another. So this was not really a, a long-term plan that these guys could, um, actually make a go of it so that's it's it was really cool to see kind of some nods to the real end of the of this type of of life um that they're referring to and and using pardons um and making these guys privateers uh was one of the ways they did that so i sort of like the the factual kind of nod to history to cool. continue on the idea of world building not so much actual history but in like the fantasy elements i love uh tia dalma I love the the actress who plays her. I think she does a fantastic job, particularly in the next in the third film. But that initial uh, interaction we get with her when they go upstream to talk to her, and Jack Sparrow gets his jar of dirt, which is hilarious. I mean, like that's just funny. Uh, just the entire interaction with her, the way that her house is like cramped and totally creepy, and you're not quite sure who she is or where she came from and how they know her, but you can tell that the Jack is like just trying to get something, and Gibbs is like totally creeped out and. And just the entire thing in a way that you understand when you see the third film even more. I, I really just enjoy that scene in the way that you see all the characters just being themselves with this new character that is really interesting uh, and is a fun performance to watch. On top of that, it's got some hilarious lines uh, like the way that uh, Jack Sparrow, he's like dirt. And just the way he says dirt cracks me up every time. I'm, I'm weird. I just quirks like that get me rolling. So I enjoy that. No, I think that first scene with her is a lot of fun. And just like you said, just a little quirkiness with Jack about, well, it's a jar of dirt. And she's like, well, give it back. He's like, no, like, well, if you want it back, then I, I, I'm i going to keep it. Uh, it's yeah, those parts are really, really funny. I like those a lot. And, you know, I'm I'm just going to jump in. I'll, I'll throw one more scene out there. And it is the. It is the ending where we find out that Barbosa is still alive and he's going to lead this team on the voyage. I just love how, you know, she says, you know, what would any of you do to fetch back Jack and the Pearl? Everybody says I, you know, except for Elizabeth, because she's so proper. She has to say yes. Um, but <laughs> I, I love that scene. But I honestly, because you see before somebody laying there and you see boots when they first visit the house. I honestly like never, ever, ever, ever back then thought it was going to be Barbosa. And when that scene hits and he comes down uh, again, I mentioned it at the top of the show, I, I just, I was so genuinely excited in the theater and just like, Oh my God, yes. What's going to happen. And then also looking back, I was just like, Oh, I wonder what the third one will be called. And I'm like, Oh, they mentioned it right there. Like they gave you the title of the third movie in the line where she says, you know, you'll hunt its shores at world's end. I was like, Hmm, what an idiot. I didn't notice that. Yeah, I, I got to agree. I, I remember sitting at home, my family and I, we were watching these films for the first time on like DVD. We probably rented it, I think, from Netflix. Back when Netflix sent DVDs. <laughs> but I remember watching it. <laughs> and he came down the stairs and I was just like, no way. And I just, yeah. What a way to end the film and also set it up for the next one. Because, I mean, they shot the two films back to back in case anyone didn't know that. 
Um, so clearly they were planning on the third 100%. And so I love the way that they add the cliffhanger, that it is so much fun. On top of that, seeing the third, uh, or ha having seen this third film, it gets me even more excited. Like I, I talked about on the last episode how I love the third film. It has a soft spot for me. It's probably be my favorite. So that ending gets me so excited for the next week. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited to um, revisit uh, the third one because I've not seen that one in a while either. Um, this was um, this was fun to rewatch. I I've had I don't want to call it a love hate relationship with this movie. I think <clears throat> when I first saw it, I didn't come away loving it the the way that I loved the first one the, the first time I had seen it. And and I think um, Harrison, you've kind of talked about this on your show a little bit, just especially with La La Land, how you you didn't watch it right the first time. Um, and I might've been guilty of that the first time I watched this movie. And I, I probably was expecting it to just be just the first one with a different story. Um, and that's not really what we got. We got some of it, but we, it, they went a different take on it. Um, and I, I can remember the first time I watched this movie, I, I wasn't into it. And then on subsequent rewatches, I've appreciated it more. Um, I've appreciated the elements that work. And, and when I force myself to just watch this movie for what it is um, and accept it for what it is, as opposed to trying to compare it too much to the first one, which is, which is among my favorite adventure movies I've ever seen. Um, I, I'm able to enjoy it more. Yeah, I, you know, I'm going to echo a lot of that again, where I'm really excited to rewatch the third one, because that is, you know, the movie that has been the most time in between seeing it. I have not seen at World's End in I don't know how long, and I'll be interested to rewatch it, especially so close to watching these other ones and really see how I feel about it, because like Rob, you said with this one, that was at world's end for me. I, I didn't hate it, but I didn't think it was super satisfying. I, I thought there were some really good elements, but I thought it left maybe too many questions or it tried to be what I thought at the time, like a little bit more intelligent than it was with some of its explaining and you know how this world works and some of these supernatural elements. And I was just like, mm, I'm not really sure I... I appreciate that. So I'm super excited to rewatch that movie and have a new perspective on it. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I, thinking back to other episodes that you and I have done together, Matt, having the chance to rewatch Matrix Reloaded um, was actually really good for me because I, I came away from my most recent rewatch with a higher opinion of it than I remember having going into it. Um, and I would actually say the same thing when we when we did Watchmen. Um, I, you know, I'd not really understood it as much the first time, um, and thought, oh, this wasn't, this wasn't great. Uh, rewatched it again a few years ago. And then, uh, when you and I did it, we, we did it based on the director's cut and, and I liked it quite a bit more than, uh, anytime I'd seen it prior. Um, and I, and I kind of feel that this movie, I, I have a higher opinion of it today than I did last week, you know, before my most recent rewatch. So, uh, thanks to the show for, um, <laughs> giving me a reason to get a better opinion of something than I had prior. Those are the best episodes. Yes. Yeah. I think with, uh, 
you know, all that being said, that might be a really great segue into rummage for the rotten. I, you know, I can't really, for me, I can't name a least favorite scene. So before we do get into who's going to be the rotten for this, I, I will let you guys have a second there to, you know, if you have a, a least favorite scene from this movie that really stands out that you just can't stand it. Uh, Harrison, I'll let you go first. Is there anything that you just like one scene that you're like, that's totally leaps and bounds. My, my least favorite. Um, if I try and rummage through my brain here real quick, it would be, I actually don't have one. You know, I'm trying, I'm trying to like scrub through the movie mentally and try and remember all the scenes. I, I really don't think I have one. Like, there are some, like I talked about, like we, not just me, like we talked about, there are some moments where the film does have some weakness that maybe it tries to do too many things and, and goes a little bit too far in some things. But for the most part, uh, those are few and far between to the, like that, that scene isn't so much a scene as it is just like a moment within a larger scene that I dislike. Uh, and so there's not one moment where I'm like, oh gosh, I can't stand this. It's just like, oh yeah, like this is a pirate movie. It's just not quite perfect. So I don't, I don't have a scene to mention. Rob, any, uh, anything on your end that just, you know, I, I know you said the, the scene that we talked about with Will, but anything else that, you know, really just is like your least favorite scene in terms of this movie. So a scene that you guys actually both said you liked, uh, the first scene in the cabin with Tia, um, to me, I, there's some really important exposition where we learn a lot about some of these supernatural elements. We learn sort of a lot of the rules of how this movie and how this world works um, that we didn't know from the first one. And that's all important. To me, the scene drags a bit. Uh, I think it's probably too long by at least 25%. I, I would have liked to have seen maybe some more time in the editing room, chopping that down a little and, and picking up the pace a bit. Um, I, you know, I find myself sitting there just waiting for the next adventure uh, as opposed to like, okay, like I, all right, fine. Yeah. We, we, we kind of get it now. Um, I, I don't know. I would call that my least favorite scene. I know you guys said you both liked it, but uh, it didn't work for me as well. I can respect that though. I can. Yeah, a absolutely. So, with that being said, let's get into Rummage for the Rotten. Rob, we're going to let you go last since we all agreed <laughs> that you would be the Rotten, um, just to see if we're right. So I will start this off, and just like you guys had for Curse of the Black Pearl, uh, this movie is actually going to get five reels from me. And oh, it, wow. Yeah, um, it might... Even though I rate it higher than Curse of the Black Tur Pearl in terms of reels, I I'm still doing some some thinking and some digging as to whether this is number one or if this is a 1A, 1B situation. Uh, before the rewatch, I definitely had a gap between Curse of the Black Pearl and Dead Man's Chest, but on this rewatch, it, it is so razor thin I'm not quite ready to officially put it as number one because overall I do think this – I can see how this is not as tight of a movie as Curse of the Black Pearl, but there's just something about it that is, to me, more fun, even though there's all of those elements of you know, some pretty dark stuff. 
so well, Harrison, so much of what I'll let you, you go next. Um, yeah, I, I really do agree with what you said there, being a razor-thin difference. Um, it's going to be hard to re-rank these things. As far as my rating goes for Rummage for the Rotten, this is a real simple. I knew it going into it. I, I'm pretty sure I knew what it would be. Came out of it competent. It's uh, just a solid four and a half, which is fantastic. There's just some a few moments, most of which we talked about in this, where it's just it's not quite like perfect. Where I'm like, oh my gosh, it's glorious. Where I can easily kind of complain about some things, uh, but they are so minor and really do not detract from the quality of the film in any way. Like I said with the first film, if somebody said you want to watch Pirates, uh, Dead Man's Chest, I'd be like, of course. Get the popcorn. I would never say no. So I, I love this film. Solid four and a half. All right. And here comes Rob with his <laughs> 12 and a half reels to fool us all. <laughs> um, so wouldn't that be great if I was going to be able to pull a switcheroo like that? Nope. I just got a wheelbarrow full of rotten right here. Um, 3.75 reels for me. Um, the things that work, work really well. Um but there's things that uh, Matt, like you said, I think you said it really the best. Some of the tonal changes um, just feel like they don't belong in this film series for me. Um, and there's, there's certain scenes that are too long. The movie itself is too long. Um, but the parts that are, that are, that are there that work really, really work and remind you why as a whole, when you think about the pirate series, you think of the fun, you think of the music, you think of the crazy characters and you think of the, the wild interactions. You think about each character's motivation changing within seconds. It, it help this person, then fight this person. And then you're helping them again. Um, we see that really done well here. Um, but um, the parts that don't work, I, I, yeah, it's hard to overlook and enjoy the fun for, for what's there. So 3.75 reels. All right. That is, that's an interesting score uh, because of the fact that you said, you know, you look at this movie better than you did uh, a week ago. So, you know, interesting to see like what that would have been before a rewatch, like how you actually rated this movie. Cause not that 3.75 is, is bad or anything, but it definitely seems like this was, you know, much, much lower when you first watched these movies that you didn't really have a good time with it. Like you had, you know, kind of mentioned at one point of my life, if I would have been told what Matt goes to the movies was, or was going to be and said, now assign it out of five reels. There's, there's periods of my life. I would have given this like two. Um, but it's, it's Ouch. one of those things that, yeah. Um, it's, but I think that's, again, like I said earlier, it's because I didn't watch the movie right. I had a different set of expectations. And when it didn't fit my expectations of it, um, when the when the parts that didn't work really didn't work for me and I wasn't able to overlook them to enjoy the parts that did. Um, yeah, there's there's parts of my life I would have given this a two. Yeah, um, I think that's one of the great things about being able to go back and rewatch these. And I, I've certainly had movies where... You know, I don't know what it was if I, I went to the theater tired or, you know, just watched it under the wrong setting. I was having a bad day where I go back and, you know, watch a movie and I'm like, why the heck did I not like this in the first place? Or, you know, whatever else the case may be. So, you know, it's it's fun to go back and be able to do this. Uh, I'll certainly be interested to go back and watch the other movies now and again like i joked but even on stranger tides i'll be interested to go back and say 
okay, is this as terrible as I remember it? Uh, do I, for some reason, you know, like it a little bit more or will it stand out even more watching it so close in succession with the other movies that I like that? It's just like, Oh no, I dislike this even more than I thought the last time I disliked it. Yeah. I'm very much in line with that idea. Um, I think I've seen the fourth one, a grand total of once. And I remember definitely being really tired when I watched it and there was nothing about it that kept my interest. So um, like I had said about giving this movie, it's, it's fair shot. Uh, just view it in the context of itself. Uh, I'm actually kind of excited to watch, to rewatch a movie that I don't think I like um, and give it its, you know, its own sort of you know, fair shot to see if, if it is actually any good or not. I, I'm excited as well to watch these. I, there's something for me about like recording an episode that makes like a lasting memory of the film. Uh, and like the first three films, I know them really well. I remember them really well. But the last two, I like remember so little about them, like just glimpses of them. So I'm excited for good or bad to make some lasting memories of them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good time here before we close the show uh, to recap that, you know, when when this first started and we did Curse of the Black Pearl, I'll go over them. We talked about it at the top. Uh, our rankings to start this. Uh, I had Curse of the Black Pearl at number one, Dead Man's Chest at number two, Dead Men Tells No Tales at number three, at World's End at number four, and On Stranger Tides at number five. Harrison, you were World's End number one, Curse of the Black Pearl number two, Dead Men Tells or Dead Men's Chest number three, Dead Men Tell No Tales number four, and Stranger Tides number five. Rob, you had Curse of the Black Pearl, uh, Dead Men Tell No Tales, Dead Man's Chest at number three, at World's End at number four, and no surprise at Stranger Tides number five. I'm not ready to say that it has switched, but Harrison, I'll start with you. Has anything changed on your rankings from watching this one with that, you know, now? Uh, not, no, 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 not yet. Maybe. It's weird because I rated Dead Man's Chest lower than The Curse of the Black Pearl. Like, I gave Black Pearl five and this four and a half, but I kind of want to put this above Black Pearl because I love davy jones is a villain but i don't know i'll have to see how world ends goes and i think it, that will help me make a final conclusion on the rest of it. uh rob what about you especially because you know putting dead men tell no tales something that we watched together actually and something that you had never seen which you know that for me that's why i'm really interested for you know, on stranger tides, because before we watched it, I remember telling you like, yeah, this isn't really that good. I don't like it. And then watching it, I was like, wait, this, this is better than I remember. So, um, anything changed for you yet on these rankings? I know we're only two movies in out of five, but, um, I think, I think so far my, my rankings are, are staying where they're at. I think there's a chance after watching the third one that that might switch places with this. Uh, it might not. Um, but I think they're probably going to remain about where they're at so far. All right. Uh, wouldn't it be something if on stranger tides became our number one, all three, all three <laughs> that, of us are just bamboozled by the fact that it's right, such a, yeah. it's a great movie. <laughs> And there was this hidden subplot the whole time that nobody ever caught. 
right? Like, oh, I must not I don't have think seen that's this. gonna happen. I didn't see this version in theaters. Like <laughs> this must have been the director's cut. <laughs> yeah, it really is a version uh, for the Blu-ray. Yeah. Yeah. If there's a uh, on Stranger Tides Snyder cut, um, release it already. Release it. Release the Kraken. God, the, way, the length of these movies that would probably be like eight hours if, if it was, I was gonna say, on stranger tides is already the longest movie of this you know the series so <laughs> i'm just oh my god i'm thinking about Zack snyder directing these movies now um <laughs> <laughs> so. it'd be so weird <laughs> just oh man so all right well that's going to conclude actually talking about dead men's chest but before we officially sign off harrison i would like to give you a, a you know one last chance here to talk about the basement binge uh obviously how to contact your show and see you know listen to your show is going to be in the show notes but uh give us one last plug for the basement binge Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate the chance to do that. Yeah, The Basement Binge is another great uh, movie review podcast. It's currently celebrating its two-year anniversary for the month of September. So there's some fun episodes I've been working on uh, to come out this month that I'm excited for. Uh, Surprisingly, a film coming out, or a film coming out, wow, so well-spoken, eloquence, a review coming out, an episode that I'm releasing, actually on Real Steel, talking about movies that... uh, Making a lasting memory of for the podcast. That was one of them. So I'm I, that I recorded earlier today. Very excited to release that. Uh, but there's some other things over there already, like the Fast and Furious franchise, La La Land that Rob mentioned, some great animation films, uh, the MCU, those types of things. So yeah, go get the Basement Binge wherever you get your podcasts and look out for those two-year anniversary shows um, that I'm excited for. In addition to some reviews about films being released this month and next in theaters that I'm really excited to get to. So I, I just have to say really quick, Real Steel, I feel super underrated. I have a blast with that movie. So I'm really looking forward to listening to that episode because I really, really like Real Steel, actually. Uh, I don't think in any way, shape or form is it, you know, like great writing or but it's it's a fun movie to me. So I'm really looking forward to hearing that. Oh, uh, me yeah. as well. I mean, that's one of those movies that if you can just suspend your disbelief for a little bit, because it, you know, there's some sci-fi elements that are just a little bit out there. Um, just have fun with this movie. This is a throw popcorn in your face movie. Um, I'm also very much looking forward to listening to that episode when it comes out. Yeah, I'm I'm excited for it. I was actually recording it, thinking about what the two of you would think, especially you, Matt, because I know you love Hugh Jackman, and I talked about. Hugh Jackman a lot in that episode. So I was like, oh no, <laughs> I wonder what Matt's going to think. So I'm glad the two of you like that film. I agree. I think it's really underrated. So I was I was uh, not originally planning on doing that episode, but my schedule got adjusted and there wasn't really like a film that I was I felt like reviewing. And I was like, I'm going to do Real Steel. No one's going to download it because I don't think there's a huge audience for it. Uh, but I was I'm excited to do it. So if you are listening to this, one last plug for The Basin Binge. Real Steel is on Netflix here in the U.S. Go watch it. Then when the episode comes out tomorrow, listen to the episode. You won't regret it. I, I love it. Rob, uh, before we sign off, uh, once again, talk about some of the stuff that you're doing. Uh, maybe if you have any clue as to what might be coming next, um, you know, with your 
extended universe. Um, so Eric and I started kind of talking about a few things and we were afraid that we would run out of ideas real fast. Um, and then, you know, we both started throwing stuff back and forth. So at this point, it's just a matter of narrowing it down. Um, so we're pretty excited about that. Uh, probably gonna be a couple of weeks before we get our schedules together to do it. So we haven't, we haven't picked the fourth entry in the EPU yet. Um, but I'm definitely excited because there's a couple of things we've talked about that would just be a total blast to do. Um, and again, these are, these are going to be movies that, uh, over a long period of time have, uh, really had an impact and have stuck with you. The lines have stuck with you, the scenes, the characters, um, just different different elements about it um, really stick with you for a long period of time. Uh, while you're at it, um, definitely we should we should celebrate properly because uh, we're recording this Thursday night. Sunday is International Talk Like a Pirate Day, so I'm pretty excited <laughs> that we are in the middle. Um, you know, we're two fifths of the way through the Pirates of the Caribbean series. So um, if, if you are listening to this on September 19th, uh, it is International Talk Like a Pirate Day. So, uh, you know, knock back a, a glass of Captain Morgan and, uh, and and watch, go back and rewatch the Pirate series. It's a great way to celebrate it. And I don't think Matt planned that because I don't think you knew that that's what Sunday is until I told you that. But uh, it is it is actually a thing. So, and, and while you're at it, uh, when you're knocking back a glass of Captain Morgan watching Pirates, uh, email Matt goes to the movies at mgttmpodcast at gmail.com and uh, make sure to like the show on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok and, and leave your thoughts as well. Yeah, um, I had no clue, but, you know, sometimes about, you know, talk like a pirate, but sometimes the stars just align perfectly. And <laughs> <laughs> that's just how it goes. But Rob, I'm I'm just going to say one thing here. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But I'm going to suspect that somewhere along the line in the extended universe, you're talking about the movie Clue. That had to have a profound impact on <laughs> your life, right? Um, yes, uh, I, I adore that film. It's not one of the ones that we've uh, discussed, <laughs> but um, oh my God, uh, in terms of clever writing and in uh, great lines, yeah, that's that's one that you sh- that everybody should see. Oh and yeah, I, fantastic! I don't know why that came up. Like, I have no idea why that came to my head where you were like, oh, you know, we're talking about things that we could do in the future. I'm like, clue, clues it. Yes. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but no, thank uh, you. know, thanks for plugging the show, the ways that you can get in contact with the show. All of those will be in the show notes. Uh, I know I look forward to the next time we're together for Pirates and as always, listeners, thank you so much for being a part of the show. Continue to comment on the Facebook page, Instagram, send emails, let us know what you think about the Pirate series, any other episodes, and we look forward to bringing you more content real soon um, between The Basement Binge and Matt Goes to the Movies. Till next time.